But I just, as we were singing that song and praising the Lord, I was just reminded of, of who I was before Christ and who you were before Christ. We, we cannot forget the wonder of it all. That it isn't, it, you didn't choose to make Jesus, you know, your thing. That's not what happened. You weren't born into a family that they happened to be Christians and so, you know, this is your little hobby. Mm-mm. You were dead. I was dead. Dead in my sins. A dead person doesn't respond. Dead. And Jesus spoke to my spirit. And the Bible uses a term called quickened. And that doesn't mean makes it fast or can run really quick. That means back to life. Dead and now alive. It's who we are. It's who we are. Well, I just was struck by that song. Thank you, praise team, for leading us. It's always a joy to, to sing songs together. And I'm, I'm trying to, to keep from jumping into my message today. We'll get there. We'll get there. But I want to say just a few things. First of all, I trust you read the back of your worship notes. Um, thanks for being here this morning in our first service. We, we started two services. Oh, it's been two months now. And, um, you know, it's been pretty interesting to see how this is all kind of fleshed out. We, we did this to give us opportunity for growth in our second service at, at 11 o'clock. And what's been interesting about this is we really... We're still kind of overflowing in there. There's still not a whole lot of room in that second service. So thanks for coming at 845. And I don't know how your life works. I'm an early riser, but I know I'm an oddball, okay? So, but if you're the kind of person that gets up early, and I encourage you to make this your time. You come here for worship. Um, what happens, you, as you know, I think, we, we start at 845. We're going to worship together. At, then at, nine, at 10 o'clock, that is, we start our focus hour. This morning is one of the special opportunities. There's only a few of these. There's only a few of these every year. And we call it our first focus. We try to do these every first week of the month. And this is an opportunity for us to worship the Lord through the Lord's table. And so looking forward to that today. The other people to gather with us during the focus hour. We'll have some teaching time. We'll have some mixing time. We'll, we'll talk about some things that are coming in our future. And then we'll worship the Lord the way God designed. And that's through the celebration of communion or the Lord's table. Be aware that on January 20th, we have, a fo- we have an annual congregational meeting. Um, it's about things that are happening this year and, and important items that are, that, are really, that are pressing upon us for 2019. And one of those many things is our budget for the new year. And I encourage you to take a look at this sheet. It's over on the table over there. This is our new budget for 2019. We want you to be aware of how the Lord's money is being invested here through Centerpoint Bible Church. Um, we'll talk about this in the focus hour, but God continues to provide for our church. He does. We're, we're going on 10 now, almost 11 years, meeting here at Spring Mills Middle School. And you need to remember, as we, as we continue to see the Lord work in, in our lives and in our church, that we were really only supposed to be here for six months. That's how long we're supposed to be here. And God has continued to open up doors. We've done it completely legitimately. It's, it's never, we haven't gone around any, you know, there's been no sneaky, suspicious, con, conspiratory ways to get here. We've just continued to say, hey, will you give us another window? 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 Forty times. And God just kept saying, yeah, yes, there's more to do. There's more to do. There's more to do. 
Well, as you are probably aware, um, 2019 will be, Lord willing, as far as we know, I mean, God's in charge, but as far as we know, that'll be the last year that we meet here at Spring Mills Middle School. We're not going to lose connection with this community. We, we trust that God's going to continue to use us to, to reach out to the Spring Mills community. But our time here at this school, it's less than 52 weeks as far as we know. And so continue to pray for us that God, that God leads us and, and shows us his will. Uh, there'll be announcements that are shared in the focus hour. Um, but what I want to do now is open up God's word. So if you have your Bible, uh, open up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I'll be honest with you, I've been looking forward to this Sunday for, for oh, a long time. Um, we are now going to open up God's Word into the Sermon on the Mount, it's often called, and um, it is a tremendous section of Scripture. I know that you and I will both benefit from this study, and um, we are going to take quite a while to get through um, the greatest sermon ever preached. I mean, think about it. We're, we're going to read and study a sermon that Jesus preached, and it is masterful. When, when, you, when you start to really dive in and take it apart as a preacher, as somebody who does this for a living, and begin to look at what Jesus did, and, and Jesus, as you know, he was, didn't go off to seminary training to preach, okay, this isn't what happened, and, and we look at people of this time almost with, with a pride in our heart, like, oh, they weren't that educated or, or these kind of things. And listen, nobody has ever been able to put together a sermon like these three chapters of Matthew. And I trust that you'll see as we go through this together how God has, has really done a, a miraculous thing. And not only sharing this the first time, but then inspiring Matthew to write it down and they're protecting his word for us to have it today. So what I want to do today, and I know you've already sat down and got comfortable, okay? But I want us to stand in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read, starting at chapter 4, verse number 18. And I'm going to read through 5-2. That's as far as we'll get today in chapter 5, all right? So let's, let's read it. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, Casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him. From Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. 5.1, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, use your word. We stand before you now in honor of you, your spirit, your word. We pray you would use this miraculously in our life. God, we want, we need to hear from you. Lord, we live in a world that's opposed to you. And we want to hear from you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for standing. You may be seated. As we get into this passage today and start in the chapters 5 through 7, my goal for today is, is a, it's an ambitious one. Um, I, I want to deal with what I think may be the theme of the Bible. How do you like that? Okay. So the topic today, the, the passage is the Bible. We're, we, I want to I show you what I believe to be the greatest theme of the whole Bible. And, and you, as we go through this, it will resonate with your experience. Let me tell you about an experience that I had just to kind of warm you up to the kind of thinking that I want you to have as we move into this. Several years ago, some of you may remember it, um, my daughter and I flew down to the country of Honduras where she was going to stay for the summer and care for the family of a missionary down there. And um, I flew down with her, traveling into the, one of the most dangerous countries in all the world and left my 16-year-old daughter there for the summer. It was a scary thing for me to do. Um, it's funny, she wasn't scared at all, but I was nervous to death. Um, and the thing that struck me And I really had never had this experience. Many of you have. Some of you are world travelers. Me, not so much. So we land in El... Well, we actually land in El Salvador. We moved to Honduras. But it doesn't really matter. We we end up in Honduras. And we're in a a vehicle traveling the back roads to, to get to the home... And, and I said to the, to the missionary friend that we're with, I was pretty thirsty. He said, well, let's stop at a store and run in and get something to drink. And so we, we pull into this little, I'll call it a convenience store. I mean, it was in Honduras. You can imagine what it probably looked like. But the thing that was striking when I got out of the vehicle, I'd been in a plane, I'd been in an airport, and I got into a plane. I'm sorry, a car. And, and drove. And when I got out of the vehicle, I was just almost dumbfounded by the difference of the, of the environment that I was experiencing. Different smells. The heat was just overwhelming. The humidity. I mean, it just, you could just feel your skin. Just, it just felt different. The smells were over, overwhelming. The, 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 the sights were different. The colors just appeared to be different. But the thing that just hit me the most... And I understand, I studied Spanish from Senorita Powell in high school for two, three years, and then in college as well, okay? I I mean, I have a vast experience studying Spanish. But what struck me was nobody was speaking a real language. They're all like, I couldn't understand anything. I mean, I thought I could speak Spanish. Yo, hablo, espanol, right? I mean, I thought I could handle it. And it was just overwhelming. I, I, I just, I mean, I honestly just froze. I just kind of like, you know, I mean, almost just panicked. And it was clear to me that I was in another, now listen, I was in another kingdom. We don't use the word kingdom too often. But I was in another kingdom. I'm from, I was from the kingdom of the United States of America. 
And I was in the kingdom of Honduras. And it was different. And I felt it. I want to talk today about what Jesus refers to. What Matthew records Jesus saying is the kingdom of heaven. I want us to understand that today. And so I'm going to, what we're going to do today is a little different for us. Usually we take a passage of scripture and we work through verse by verse, sentence, word, so forth. We're going to look at the theme of the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why I want to do that is it's so essential to understanding the message of Matthew. You need to realize that Matthew is not a biography. The gospel of Matthew is not a biography. He didn't sit down and say, I want to write down every event that happened in Jesus' life. None of the gospel writers did. The genre of the gospel of Matthew is not biography. It is gospel. That's the genre. You say, what does all that mean? That's the type of writing that it is. The author, Matthew, is writing for a purpose. Yes, he has an agenda. He has an agenda And the agenda is for you to realize that Jesus is the king of the world, of the universe, of all there is. And he is setting up a kingdom and he's inviting you there. He's inviting you to join the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And I want you to to see that the kingdom of heaven is very different than the kingdom that you and I were born into and you and I are very comfortable with. You should feel, if you do not feel like an oddball in your world, you're not living for the kingdom of heaven. You should feel odd here. Just like I did in Honduras. Things look different. Things feel different. People use a different language. They're driven by a different set of ambitions. They're driven by a different set of motivations. It's different. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's a way of life. I want us to see that. I've got a lot of introductory comments here. It's a way of life. It's a way of living to live for the kingdom of heaven. It should... It should vastly affect everything of your life. I thought of this illustration. Last night, Nancy and I are working. It's a rainy day, so we're cleaning up our workshop area. Thanks for your help. And we're cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. And, and Nancy said, hey, let's, let's make salmon for dinner. Why don't you make your salmon for dinner? Because I make some pretty good salmon, okay? I really do. So I go up in the house, and I do my thing, and I make my salmon, okay? The key is in the cast iron skillet. That's the key. That's the key, okay? So I make my salmon, and we enjoy it. I ate way too much, okay? But, man, it was good. And then, for one reason or another, I had to leave the house, and I come back in like an hour later. Oh, every room in the house Every single room, every crook and cranny of our house, some of you are shaking your head, you're like, yeah, I've been here. You might have noticed it about me today. It all smells like salmon, doesn't it? If if I'm sorry, if you walked by, you're like, that salmon smells pretty good. Sorry, okay? That's the way that when we live for the kingdom of heaven, that Paul uses that. It's like we smell of Jesus. 
It invades everything. There are no dark corners that you can keep from the kingdom of heaven. You don't get the option of shutting the door at your house. You know, when people come and visit, and you do the 30-second cleanup, and you throw everything into that room, and you shut the door, and you think, oh, Lord, don't let there be a reason for that to walk in that room, right? We don't get to have one of those rooms when we're called and respond to the kingdom of heaven. It's a way of life. It is all consuming, like cooking salmon, like getting married, like being in the military. Jesus demands all of our life. He wants it all. He's not satisfied with a little. He wants it all. That's what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, but here's a wonderful truth. Here's a wonderful truth. And please hear this. Because this is not, right now, you are invited to the kingdom of heaven, but it's not arm behind your back. It's not twist your arm behind your back. Submit or else has not the way of Jesus. The reality is he calls you to the kingdom and that's where you will be most blessed. Most blessed. That's where the joy that you were designed for resides. It's living for the kingdom and the way of life. So we're going to walk through this gospel of, of Matthew's study. That we're, going to, we're going to see it in the whole theme of Matthew. And, and I want us to understand this as we move into the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom. And notice in chapter 4, at verse number 17, right before what I read today, right before what I read, look what it says in 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach... This means to herald a truth. This means to proclaim something that people need to hear. There is a motivation in the word preach. It's not just inform. It's not just let me tell you about it. It's call to you. It's say, please come. That's what preach means. And what he's calling them to is to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. This was, this was Jesus' message. This was the message of Jesus. It's the message of God that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repent and come to it. It's what you were designed for. And in reality, the amazing thing about the Bible is the whole Bible is the story of God establishing, providing, and winning us to his kingdom. I mean, think about it. The Bible begins and, star- it begins and starts with a garden. Did you know that? It begins and starts with a garden. Chapters 1, 2, 3 of Genesis, we got the Garden of Eden and all of, it, all of its splendor and all of the, it's, we're attracted to it. It sounds so wonderful. And that's G, that is God establishing his kingdom. And he said to man, be fruitful, multiply, fill my kingdom, is what God was telling Adam and Eve. And they rebelled against the king. And then we have just thousands of years where man has now lived for his own kingdom. Because listen, God believes in a binary choice. Two options. There's not a host of kingdoms. There's only two. There's the kingdom of God and there's a kingdom that opposes to him. And so the hall of history is man really rebelling against his kingdom. And the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, we find ourselves in a garden again. In a garden again. As God has now brought his kingdom on earth. We're in the middle of this story, folks, of the kingdom 
of heaven. So here in Matthew 4, 17, this is what Jesus is trying to really, well, Matthew is recording for us that Jesus now begins preaching about this kingdom of heaven. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to walk through, I've got like a whole bunch of passages I want you to see in the gospel of Matthew that are bringing forth the truth of this kingdom of heaven. Okay, so come with me on this journey through the Gospel of Matthew and see what it is that Jesus is proclaiming, as Matthew recorded, about this kingdom. First of all, we see here in Matthew 4, 17, that Jesus is, this is what, this was the, this was the message that Jesus was preaching. If you walked up to Jesus and said, hey Jesus, hey, what are you talking about today? I know you're going to preach here in a little bit. What are you going to talk about today? I'm telling you his answer is the kingdom of heaven. This is what he's talking about. The whole gospel of Matthew is all about the kingdom of heaven. I mean, turn over a couple pages. Go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Look what Jesus prays for in verse number 10. He teaches his disciples to pray. And what's he pray for in verse number 10? Your kingdom come. Jesus instructs us to pray that God's kingdom would come. 633, look what Jesus says. Seek first, what? The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13, 44, turn over a couple pages. Look at Jesus here when he describes the kingdom. When he describes what it's like, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has. And buys that field. Matthew 13, 19 shows that there's a battle of kingdoms. Look at 13, 19. I know you went back a little bit. or You have to go fast. Sorry, you guys. But it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. See this kingdom teaching? Look at 16, 19. Turn over a couple more pages. Look at Jesus says to the apostle Peter. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The gospel. It's what allows you to enter into the kingdom. Talking about entering in Matthew 18, verse number 3. Jesus says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't get away from this theme. We can't get away from what, what Jesus is communicating. Oh, but there's some truths we don't like, too. Look at Matthew 19, verse number 23. i wait for your pages. This one's important. This one's a warning. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, See, there's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. The rich, the wealthy, and folks, that is every one of us in this room. They understand the sweetness of the kingdom of this world. They understand the desire, the pleasure of the kingdom of this world. And in order to wrap our hands around the kingdom of heaven, we got to let go of the kingdom of this world. So it's hard for a rich man to let go of the kingdom. His hands are clenched. Kingdom of the earth. It's hard. Easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle 
Think about that. Matthew chapter 23. In this world where there are two kingdoms, not only are we dealing with the battle in our hearts over choosing a kingdom, hear this warning. There are people motivated by the enemy of God, Satan, to win people to the kingdom of this world. Woe to you, verse number 13, chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. So there's not just a binary choice. It's just not that there's two kingdoms. These kingdoms are at war with one another. And those that are opposed to God want to drag you to hell with them. Ooh, this is, this is what Jesus is teaching. Two more. Matthew 24, verse number 14. We should be encouraged. You know why? 24, 14. Because the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And finally, 2534. All oh, listen to this. Listen to where Jesus' teaching about the kingdom is going to end. 2534. Then the king will say to those on his right, Oh, I want you on the right. I want you on the right. On his right side, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see, from beginning to the end. Oh, there is, there is no end. And there is no beginning. But in the Bible, from beginning to the end, it's always been about the kingdom of God. Always been. And he's inviting us there. So what is the plan of God? I've got, we're going to deal with three questions today. Okay? Three questions. And the first one is, what is the plan of God? It is the kingdom of heaven. That's the plan of God. God is establishing his kingdom. Now, let me just say a quick word here. Some of, your, uh, some of the other gospels often say the kingdom of God. And even once or twice, Matthew will say kingdom of God. And that can be a little confusing. Listen, there's no difference between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. They're the same thing. The reason why Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven is Matthew, is Matthew was a Jewish man. He's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And for the Jew, it was, it was unacceptable to say the name of God. And so rather than say the kingdom of God, Matthew would write down the kingdom of heaven. And I think Jesus used this interchangeably. Okay? I mean, you might say, we need to pray to the heavens. Well, that doesn't mean you're going to you know, pray to the clouds or, or pray to you know, some heaven that's someplace. That, that's, that doesn't want to, that's not what that means at all. It means you're going to pray to the one who resides in heaven. And when you say that, you mean God. And it's the same thing here. Okay? It's the same thing here. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. But culturally, we have no experience with kingdoms. This doesn't really mean anything to us. So let's go to our second question. And that is this. What does... The kingdom of heaven includes. What does it clu- include? Now, this is very, very important for us today. And it's, it's, we, we're going to see it in the Gospel of Matthew. We've already seen it in the Gospel of Matthew, and I'll show it to you. Three things, though, I want you to remember that the kingdom of heaven includes. It's pretty easy to remember these a ruler, a realm, and a rule. When you're talking about a kingdom, 
When you're talking about a kingdom, you got to have a ruler. You got to have a realm. And you got to have a rule. Now, when, when, when my sons were young, they loved to play with knights and castles and, and these little toys, right? And I remember when we got, when we got this prize possession, we got the castle from the Playmobil set or whatever it was. And, and man, that thing, many hours were logged playing with the knights and the king and the horses around the castle. And in a lot of ways, that's our, that's our picture when we think of kingdom. And there's a lot of things about that that are right. A ruler, a realm, and a rule. Now let's go back to Matthew and look back at chapter 1 and chapter 2. If you take your eyes over chapter 1 and chapter 2, and remember what we dealt with in December, you remember that chapter 1 and chapter 2 were all about that Jesus was coming to the earth. And he's not just a man, although he is a man. He's the son of Abraham, the son of David. And that meant that he was coming as a king, the ruler. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 is all about establishing that Jesus is the ruler. He is the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you say the Lord Jesus Christ, what you may not realize is you're identifying him as king. Lord alone, but equally Christ. And so we have to understand, to come to the kingdom of heaven, to come to the kingdom of God, Jesus must be your Lord. He must be your Lord. Now there's a rival in your life. There's one who fights and resists this Lord and attempts to usurp him. And it's not some big ugly creature outside. It's not Satan or demons or your horrible boss or that guy at work that drives you nuts. That's not it. That's not the enemy, folks. The one who rivals the lordship of Christ in your life is none other than you. And I rival me. A kingdom implies a ruler, and that is the Lord Jesus. We see that even in Matthew chapter 4. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Do you remember we had the temptation of Jesus? Where Satan came and, and tried to tempt him, and Jesus stood against every time, demonstrating he is God's ruler. Okay, secondly, we got a ruler, we got a realm. Now, what is a realm? A realm is, is the place, is, is, the, is, is, the, is the environment where the king rules. Where the king rules. And a realm has two places. It really has two environments, has, has two dynamics, two aspects. And they are a people and a place. A realm, this realm of the kingdom, implies two aspects, a people and a place. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse number 24 with me. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 24. So his fame spread throughout Syria. And they brought him all those who were sick. 
those afflicted with various diseases and pains and oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And they, they really grew into this great crowd. Folks, here's the amazing part of this ruler. Here's the amazing part of this king. Look who he's calling to himself. The nobodies. The sick. The damaged. Listen, nobody cared about these people. Nobody's concerned with what they think. Nobody's coming to these people and asking their opinion. Nobody's inviting them to dinner. These are the very people that other people, the important people, are trying to stay away from. These are the people that you don't want to be with. These are the outcasts. These are the losers of that society. It's, it's the people that can't provide for themselves. It's the people that, that, that offer nothing. They come sick. They come broken. They come possessed by demons. They come overwhelmed with disease and their bodies are broken. And what does God do with them? What does the ruler do with them? He doesn't walk into the temple. You need to know that in the middle of Jerusalem was a beautiful temple. Herod had built a temple that just would blow our minds. That's what the weeping wall is today in Jerusalem. It's the side of Herod's temple. And he had built this beautiful temple that was filled, that was employed literally with hundreds and hundreds of very important people. And Jesus didn't go to them. He didn't go to them. He didn't seek out those that were important, the people that mattered. He goes to the streets. He gathers up those that are broken. Now, here's what you and I would do. We would see them on the street. Because I see you. You're dressed nice. You're pretty clean, most of you. Some of you smell like salmon, I think. But you're generally clean. You're wealthy. You have and we see those people and we start thinking things like, well, yeah, if they had made better decisions, they hadn't decided to do such and such. Listen, the very people that we push away, Jesus called them into his kingdom. Oh, what joy that was. So a people... And it's not, just, it's not just them. Verses 18 through 22, here he's calling these disciples. He's gathering a people in his realm. Now, I told you a realm deals with a people and a place. And that's the beautiful thing of Jesus coming, establishing his kingdom. Some of it is here, and we see it now. And you, I trust, are part of the kingdom. But there's an element of his kingdom. There's an element of his kingdom that will not be fulfilled until Jesus comes again. And that's the place. That's the place. See, there's a part of this kingdom of heaven. The way we say it usually is already and not yet. He's already gathering people into his kingdom. But the place will come later. And we're going to see that. We're going we're to talk about that. But that's the realm. And then we get to the last element. So we had a ruler, a realm, and a rule. Now, I, I, I used rule here because I really struggled to know what, what word to use. One, I wanted it to be memorable, so I'll start with an R. But that wasn't my real purpose, Okay. I, was, I wanted to be careful. I didn't like rule because I don't want you to think I'm being rules. Now, a part of rule is rules. I don't want to take away completely rules, but I don't want you to, I don't want you to have your thoughts just rules. 
A rule means that there is a law, there, there is an established practice, there is a way of the kingdom. There is a way of life of the kingdom. And that's his rule. As, as the ruler rules over his realm, there is a way that he expects things and he recalls things and he makes things operate. And in this world, in the kingdom that we're in, you see, we have, we're like the Navy SEALs or the, the Army Rangers who have like, you know, descended into this world, into this foreign kingdom, okay? And it doesn't quite feel right. It doesn't quite feel right. Because we are designed for the rule of the ruler. Where right is right. Where wrong is wrong. Between 1939 and 1945, in the German concentration camps, 11 million people died. 6 million Jews and 5 million others. 11 million. Last year in the world... There were 141, you don't remember, that's okay, 141 million abortions. Think about that. The the overwhelming amount of death and destruction in our world. It doesn't feel right. Because we're not from this kingdom. We're not from here. And God's rule is being opposed. So, we come back to the gospel of Matthew. Chapter 5. See what Matthew is doing? See what the Spirit of God is doing? In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we're going to now see the rule of the kingdom. What does it look like what is it? What is it? How does the kingdom operate? What is the king like? And you're gonna, it's, it's, it's upside down reverse. It's upside down, it's an upside down reverse kingdom. I mean, look at the very first part of this teaching. In verse number two and three, it says this And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, and he said this Blessed, blessed, or blessed are the poor. What? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now what happens is we're going to answer our third question. What does the kingdom of God reveal? What does it reveal? It's going to reveal the rule of God. It reveals the upside down, reverse reality of God's kingdom. It's completely upside down. It's completely reverse. And we don't like reverse. We don't do well in reverse. And we sure don't do well upside down. I'm not going to show you that. But I will say this. Have you been to my house? Have you seen my driveway? My driveway is long and dangerous. Okay? On one side is a cliff. I'm exaggerating. It's not a cliff, but it definitely is a hill. Okay? And the amazing thing about my family, about my family who now are all drivers, you should see them back up in reverse. Because every morning when we leave, you know what we got to do? Put it in reverse and we got to back up my driveway. And it's scary. And it's da- Come visit my house. 
And as you're backing down our driveway, look at the patio window and watch all six of us, if we're there, laughing at you trying to back down our driveway. You know why that is? The more we operate in reverse, the better we get at it. The kingdom of heaven is an upside down reverse reality. Let me just give you just a small taste of it. Start out in chapter 6, verse number 1. Look at 6-1 with me. Look at this upside downness. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is going to show us is, is the character of God and the rule of the kingdom of heaven. There's an authority that of the internal over the external. The internal has authority over the external. The internal matters, not the external. So here he's saying, you be careful. In this world that you're in, in the kingdom that you're in, it's all about how you look. It's all about what other people see. He says, don't worry about that. As a matter of fact, be warned against worrying about the external. So the first sort of, you know, I told you this sermon is wonderful, okay? From 5-1 to 6, let's see, where do I want to get to? 32. 5-1 to 6-32. Jesus is making this point over and over and over. The authority of the internal over the external. The authority of the internal over the external. Over and over and over. That God is concerned about the inside, not the out. That's why he calls the sick. That's why he calls the broken. That's why he calls the downtrodden. That's why he calls those that are rejected. Because inside they're a soul created in the image of God. God gives an authority and a priority to the internal over external. Second thing we're going to see here in the Gospel of Matthew, because we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, you're going to find it in 619. Look at it with me. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. No, no, no. There's a priority of the eternal over just the seasonal. The eternal over the seasonal. You are a human being for just a short season. This is a short season. And God here is saying, don't, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. No, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then the last thing, you find it in 7-7. Go there with me, and I'm going to end with this. Jesus says, ask. And this is where they start. As a preacher studying the Sermon on the Mount, this is where Jesus begins his third point, okay? I mean, I, I know, three points in a poem, right? But this is where you, you see a change here. And now at 7-7 seven, seven to the end of chapter 7, what Jesus is going to emphasize is the reality of regeneration, not renovation, Regeneration. What does it mean to be regenerated? Born again. Not renovated. Not renovated. You, 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 can't, you cannot improve your kingdom and make it like his. God is not calling you to join a renovation project. But regeneration. Brand new. Go to the end of the chapter. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. They couldn't believe their ears at his teaching. 
For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Why did he have authority? Pretty simple. Because he's the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. Are you part of the kingdom of heaven? A people? A place? Are you part of the people? I want to challenge you to evaluate where your priorities sit. Look at your life. Are you consumed? Are you laying up treasures for the kingdom of earth? Are you elevating externals over internals? Are you seeking to renovate or be regenerated? Oh, it makes all the difference. The kingdom community that you're part of. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your truth. God, it's good news. It is the good news. Lord, that you have won us to yourself. Allowed us to be part of your kingdom. We praise you for it today. Lord Jesus, I do, I do lift up those that are battling, Lord. Some walk in with heavy scars in their life that only you really are aware of, but they're carrying it, Lord, of the kingdom of this world. I pray they'd let it go. They'd let it go. And I allow you to wrap your arms around them and say, come here, my son, my daughter. Sit here in the kingdom of heaven. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.